Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio and big day. For those of you listening to this on Saturday or maybe even as early as Friday, you're like, what are you talking about? Well, I'm recording this on Wednesday. So the day the Fed announcements came out, the Fed hikes came out, and I'll tell you why. I'm recording on Wednesday, and we do have an interview. So I'm not I'm not shortchanging. I'm not trying to make an excuse for why there is an interview. We delivered one just like I said we would. Um, but I am I, recording this on Wednesday because I am taking my beautiful bride down to uh, the Oregon coast for a few nights for her birthday. And her birthday was actually I know that was, I got I got multiple emails uh, from listeners and clients wishing her a, ha- a happy birthday. Um, you're like, man, your birthday was like a month. It was, but we had football, right? Because remember, I was telling you guys last week, I've added football coach to the resume. So season's over now. So we had to book her, uh, book, book her little birthday getaway for a few nights for after football season. And she's so understanding that she wasn't upset by that in the slightest. So anyway, got to, got to make good on that. See if you're and that's. It's one of the reasons that coming up in March, I will have been married 18 years. If you're going to put up with me in a marriage, there must be frequent gifts and trips. This is what I've learned. So the secret for me to staying married for 18 years is a marry an extraordinarily patient, kind woman and take her on frequent trips and give a lot of presents. And that makes being married to me palatable. So that's, that's my, that's my, now that, that was significantly harder when, when, when we were newly married and didn't have any money. Um, but we used to take stay at home vacations. I, even back then I knew I got to bring, I got to bring more to this relationship than just myself or, uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a checking account. That's, that's a checking account. That's going to bounce at any minute anyway. So, uh, big news, obviously the fed rate hikes and announcements want to get into that and going to spend the majority of the market update discussing that because I, I do think that there are a lot of tells. Um, and I do think it gives us a much clearer picture forward. Um, and then our interview today with none other than my partner, Marcos Bueno, who runs our, our, um, algorithmic portfolio he joined me and 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 i had him on specifically because marco is an extraordinarily level-headed thinker and i wanted somebody to remind us of things that could go right right you guys know my thoughts i don't think we're on the edge of a precipice that we're going to plummet another 50 percent lower um i'm not saying that that's not possible i just think it's highly unlikely Uh, For a lot of different reasons, one of which is don't look now, but one of the byproducts of the Fed's rate hikes is they got a nice stack of rates to cut rates from again. Right. Uh, And so, you know, for those reasons, I do not think that we're on the edge of a precipice, but I do think that we are going to go lower and I don't do not think there will be a V shaped bounce back like people have gotten so used to over the 15 last 15 years. And I think that we will spend a prolonged period of time in markets that move sideways. Maybe some sharp moves up, followed by sharp moves down. Kind of what you've seen in specifically the last three or four months. And why do I say that? Just go back and look at a chart of the stocks from 1966 to 1981. The last time the economy was dealing with uh, heavy levels of inflation. Not a perfect match, as I've said before. Inflation was driven by different things back then than it is now. The inflation itself is different, right? There were not global supply chain. Well, there was regarding oil, but different different altogether. But, to, but totally different drivers, for the most part, of inflation. Some of them are the same. Um, you know, but no situation is exactly the same. I just think 
one of the reasons that you tend to see those types of moves. Now, when you get into hyperinflationary markets, you see markets go parabolic. As you guys know, I've said it a million times. And I know I've ticked some people off saying this. You can't say that. Market. Look, I'll just say it again. While the U.S. dollar is a world reserve currency, little hiccup there, world reserve currency, uh, you're just not going to see that hyperinflation that people talk about. Just, you're just not going to see it. Not here. It's probably going to happen other places in the world. China looks increasingly dangerous to me, um, especially as the Fed continues to hike. So getting into the Fed, what, what did we find out today? And again, if you're listening to this Saturday, I'm recording this on Wednesday, the day of the Fed announcement. <clears throat> I think you guys know we've been talking about it. The Fed came right in line with our expectations. We thought they'd hike another 75 basis points. We saw that priced into oil, uh, euro dollar futures markets. That, that was the built-in expectation. They're claiming that they will hike. The path that they have said now is another 50-point hike and then followed by another 25-point hike. Um, We'll see if they get there. I'm a bit surprised they've done as many hikes as they have. But I will say this. Inflation is proving even more stubborn than I thought it would be. Even as you see a deceleration. Now, when I say deceleration, what am I talking about? Again, if you're watching CNBC, I'm... I'm not even going to try to say why, but I mean, if you haven't figured it out now, you're not getting very good, complete information. Um, Everybody acts as if everything in the economy is just fine. Everything's really strong. Rates are the only problem. Earnings are down year over year, 5% X energy. So if you add energy profits into the earnings outlook, which last year were paltry, they were just starting to heat up at that point. Um, Earnings on the S&P will look like they're up 2% year over year, but you've got to, with what's going on in energy and is unique of a situation, to really get a feel out of this market. And remember, to make a like-to-like comparison, people like Zach, you're picking your spot. I'm really not. You need to look at this market X energy. First of all, energy is still the smallest sector in the S&P 500. Even though you've seen this big run in energy stocks, it, the traditional weighting of energy is somewhere between 11 and 15% historically on the, on the S&P 500. Even after this big run, it's only five. What does that show you? Shows you, A, energy prices are way too undervalued still, and that other sectors remain way too elevated. Uh, I think that's the simplest way to look at it. So I think that rotation continues. Um, That's where the profit is. Okay, so but in in order to take a look, because remember, you had (laughs) the energy sector. I'd have to go back and check this, but I would bet you prior to this year and halfway through last year, um. You know, energy markets were a probably a zero net contributor for the last six, seven, eight years, maybe, Um, especially with what happened to energy earnings in 2020. And so to get a good feel for this market, I just think it makes sense to back out those profits and look at the market. If you do that, if you pull out energy stocks out of the S&P 500, earnings are down 5% year over year. Now, the, the, the reason I think that that's really important is because unemployment hasn't even started to tick up yet, right? So earnings aren't dropping due to a lack of demand. I think what you're seeing here is the impact of higher rates. I think what you're seeing here is the impact of higher input costs and the impact of higher wage costs. I don't think a lot of those things are going away anytime soon, right? So one of the, one of the really only bullish stories that was existing out there and that was being paraded by a lot of the bulls was the feds hike too far, too fat, too fast, which I don't. And, and I've said this before. I, I don't disagree with that, but I gotta, I gotta add a caveat to that. The reason they're hiking too fast right now is because they didn't hike for so many years when they should have, right? We should have gotten off the zero bound in 2012, 2013, now, should they have hiked it up to one and a half or two and a half? Probably not back then. But my point is, is if you'd have done this slowly over time, you wouldn't be forced to take this measure right now, right? So <clears throat> what, what that's telling me is that 5% reduction in earnings when consumer spending is still so strong. I didn't think you'd see that big of a dip. I kind of thought maybe you'd see somewhere between like a 1% to 3% dip in earnings, Right, X energy this first quarter, and I thought the earnings weakness would really show up in the fourth quarter. So, again, when you look at valuations, it's just really hard to see a market acceleration from these levels. And like I said, I just think earnings are going to continue to compress, and I think you got further down to go. Now, 
that's when so if we're just looking at the US economy, that that's kind of why I'm saying I don't see this big cratering of another giant, you know, 40, 50% drop from here. But then you got to step back and look at the geopolitical picture. My whole point is saying I don't think the bottom's in yet. I don't think we're at the I don't think we're at the edge of the abyss about ready to get, you know, to go to depressionary levels. But that being said, that, 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 you know, I think there's this feeling out there. There seems to be this narrative out there that the worst is priced in. It's just not. It's just not the case. You know, again, you're still trading at 20, 21 times earnings, depending on what metric you look at. And you got to be careful. I heard somebody say, Zach, you said 21 times earnings. I looked up. It's 19.58. Um, <clears throat> so I look, I look at where we're at on the daily. There's a site out there that, co- that computes that on a daily. When markets are swinging that much. I think that same site a month ago had us at like 19.6. So I'm not making up numbers, guys. You just got to be careful. Like there's some places that only calculate it. I've seen one website that only calculates it on a quarterly basis. seen another website that calculates it on a monthly basis. And I saw another uh, website that does it again on a real-time day-to-day basis. (coughs) When I'm quoting that to you guys, I'm quoting the daytime, that day, uh, price-to-earnings ratio. And – You know, we've talked about different valuation metrics. They're not good timing tools, but it just gives us kind of a marker. Where are we at? Are things cheap? No, things are not cheap. Not by any historical metric. Are there sectors of the market that are? Absolutely. Energy and materials still remain one that is extraordinarily underpriced. Well, you look at technology, the flip side, it's gotten hit the hardest this year. Um, it's still very much on the expensive side of things. Are they all expensive? No, right? We always talk about these are all general terms, right? Um, there are always exceptions to the rule. And that's why I've also said, I've had clients have been like, hey, why don't we just sit in cash? And they go, well, because guys, there there are a lot of things. Just because the just because the average stock in the market right now is attractive does not mean that there aren't stocks in the market that are attractive. And that's one thing I do agree with Jim Cramer about. There's always a bull market somewhere. There really is. Yeah, sometimes it might be in bonds. I kind of think we got a b- bit of a bull market coming up in bonds. See how long it lasts. Uh, and when I say bonds, guys, I do not mean corporate bonds. I'm talking about U.S. Treasuries. Um, <clears throat> but in, in my opinion, I think the Fed blew that, like I was saying, that bullish notion out there of a pivot that the Fed's going to blink. I just don't see any reason for them to. And I, and I think there's a lot of misconception out there about Fed policy. The Federal Reserve and virtually every central bank that I can think of, there may be an exception out there, they don't want rates at zero. I think they've been at zero so long that people think that's where the Fed wants them. They don't want them at zero. They'd much rather have the Fed funds rate at two and a half to four percent. Gives them flexibility to cut rates in the event of a in the event of a recession. It gives more income to savers. There's all kinds of beneficial reasons. Right. The trick is. They want to try. Now, this is the way they think about it. I think there are times where they cannot achieve both. And I I think we may well be in one of those times now. But ideally, what the Fed wants is they'd like to see interest rates as high as possible and still be looking at inflation somewhere in the 2% range and growth around 3.5%. I think that that is an incredible error based on naivete and arrogance, meaning that I think every environment has a different optimal level. I think there will be periods of times where you have higher rates of inflation. I think there will be periods of times that you have lower rates of inflation and arbitrarily coming up with what the Fed believes is rate and unemployment and economic nirvana. I think will eventually get you in a really nasty place. For instance, where we're at right now. Why did we have 0% interest rates so long? Because the Fed was trying to generate inflation. That's the funny thing. Now, you look at inflation. You look at the pinch it's putting on everybody's pockets. If you really want to get ticked off, go read Fed minutes from the last 10 years. You will hear them continually talk about their biggest concern being that inflation isn't high enough. Whereas I step back, first of all, it's the way they calculate inflation. Inflation has unquestionably been higher than they've reported. And it's not nefarious. I don't think they're trying. I think, I mean, I think a part of it is, I think, you know, understating inflation is good for both the Federal Reserve and politicians. But, you know, I go back and, 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 and the reason they thought, the reason they thought that, the reason they thought inflation need to get higher is because these people believe that inflation and growth are synonymous. That, yeah, and, and I've, again, we've mentioned this on the show many times before. 
Why do I not think? Because there, there are multiple times in the history of this country where you saw solid economic expansion, solid economic growth with virtually no inflation or even lower, you know, 1% inflation and 3% growth or virtually 0% inflation in the 50s. And I think you were averaging about 28 3.3% growth, 3.2% growth with, with virtually no inflation for, for the better part of the 50s. So there are obviously and, – and they just seem to throw that out. Never really gotten a good example or a good answer to any of those questions about why they do that. Um, but again, getting back to what we learned regarding the, the, the rate increases, the Fed is not about to pivot. They cannot with inflation data coming in and where it's at. Okay, They just can't. Now, the problem that I see, the fear that I have of this is that I think you're in a new regime. I think that you have left the low inflation regime, and I don't think we're looking at sustained inflation rates between 9 to 10%. I just think we're entering a decade where you're probably going to see inflation elevated, you know, three and a half to five, four to six, somewhere in that ballpark, and it will go up and down. And every time it goes down, you're going to hear politicians say, we've beat inflation. Eight months later, inflation came back and nobody could have seen it, right? Kind of look at what you've heard in the last two years is a microcosm. Um, Inflation is a tricky beast to tame. It is. And that's where I think you kind of see the reckless nature of the Fed in all of this, right? In, in my opinion, the Fed is throwing interest rates. It's, it's kind of like I was saying, it, it, and, and I'm not really criticizing them because I don't know what else they can do without going back in the past and saying, which isn't really, I don't think it's a really valuable thing to discuss, right? Because we, we don't have a time machine. So let's talk about what we can do now. Um, I I don't really think they're doing anything wrong right now considering the rate hikes when you're looking at the data we're looking at. I just think that the big error, in my opinion, is the fact that they let it get here, right? So, but, but the problem is, is using interest rates in an environment like this, in an economy like this that has had... Remember, the Fed themselves referred to zero interest rates and quantitative easing as extraordinary monetary policy. Well, how can you how can extraordinary exist for 15 years? How how is that possible? If it was if that was a if that if those conditions persisted for 95 percent of the last 15 years, then how in the world can they be extraordinary? Right. So. What you've done, and I think a lot of economic data bears this out. I'm sure there's people that would disagree with me, but follow my logic here. I don't think it's so much the rates themselves, and obviously where the rates are is a a big issue, but I think it's the pace of change of those rates, in this case higher, but I also think the thing that we need to consider is the length of time rates were at zero. And why do I say that? Because the longer rates remain at zero, think about the human psyche. The longer a condition persists, the longer we as human beings extrapolate out that, that, those conditions. Right. Which we do the inverse of what we probably should. Right. The longer things stay a certain way, the more certain we all are that those things are going to last. So zero percent interest rates were built into funding plans as far back, you know, as early as a year and a half ago. Zero percent interest rates were used to finance deals for the last 15 years. They were the basis for a lot of carry trades in financial markets around the world. What do I mean by a carry trade? Well, interest rates in this country are three percent. Interest rates in this country are zero percent. We can borrow money at zero percent, invest it at three percent and keep the spread. Right. That's a carry trade. Um <clears throat> So you you have all these things that are set up and the longer you keep those conditions like that, the more baked in, right? It's kind of a, and I'm not sure if I've said this on the radio before, I've said it in interviews, but it's kind of a, a crass example, but I think it's very apt. It's kind of like a catheter, right? If you leave catheters in too long and you don't change them, the body begins to assimilate it, right? It starts growing around it. Economies do the same thing with monetary policy and interest rates. 
So I don't even think it's just the I don't even think it's the nominal number, right? The 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 four percent they've increased the Fed funds rate. I also think one of the biggest problems is how long we had been at zero. Another impact is this. If you're at zero percent interest rates for two to three years, there's a lot of companies and a lot of debt that won't have time to roll. Right. They 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 you know, for instance, let's say a company took out 10 year financing, issued 10 year bonds in in 2007. Right. Had zero interest rate policy even, you know, had they gotten off it in 2012, that company never would have had the opportunity. I mean, they could have issued a new round of debt and taken their debt out. But, you know, fundings weren't even that easy back in 2011 because there was still a lot of skepticism. But anyway, follow my point. You you didn't even have time for that debt to roll over. You stated zero percent interest rates for 15 years. So every debt out there got refinanced. Right, Right. Think of how that's changing business outlooks. Think of how that's changing businesses in, in appetite to invest, to build a new plant, right? They're going back through going, holy smokes, guys, if rates are up two years from now, let's say our borrowing costs are now seven and a half percent two years from now, this new expansion plan that we've got, it just went from cash flow positive to cash flow negative just based on the interest expense increase. And when I add all this up and you look at it and and. It's just really hard to think that, 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 you know, the Fed really only can fight inflation via interest rates, but this is kind of a unique sort of inflation. And what they're doing sort of appears to me like killing a house fly with a 12-gauge shotgun. Are you going to get the house fly? Yeah. You may not have a house after you're done, though. Right? Or certainly you're going to have a lot of holes in the sheetrock. So, and and... But but pivoting back, to be fair to them, they don't have any other tools. And this is one of the things we've been talking about for years. If you listen to the show for a while, that's what concerned me about staying at low interest rates for so long. The, The Fed has a lot of ways to fight deflation. But fighting inflation, they've only got one tool. That's raising interest rates. And that is a very imprecise tool. It's a 12 gauge shotgun. And so if you're out there thinking that the most of this risk is baked into the market, it's not. Just listen to this market update. We haven't even really started to feel the real impacts of these interest rate increases. Okay, so if you have that traditional portfolio, and like I said, guys, I'm not a gloom and doomer. I'm not telling you you need to invest with us because it's the only way you're going to save your retirement. I'm just saying the typical stock portfolio, stock bond, if you haven't figured out that that does not protect you against risk, that that's not good enough, I... I don't know what else is going to make you get the message. Okay. And and I'm also telling you, dawn ain't just on the horizon. The sun hasn't even fully set yet. Right. Harder times are coming. How hard? I don't know. Anybody that tells you they know for sure is lying or they're just an idiot. Either way, you don't want to listen to them. Okay. But if anything, it should tell you, you really need some risk management. You need to know what your bottom line is. You need a portfolio like with our clients that's down, you know, two and a half, three and a half percent. Do I wish we were positive? Yeah. But a three, we're still sitting on really nice profits from where we were in January 1st of last year. Okay. You got to get a portfolio that can stand up to anything. Yours doesn't. It should have proven that to you by now. So if that you're in that situation, and a lot of you are, give us a call, 866-779-RISK, and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, boardcapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. We've got to take a quick break. Stick with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? Ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Due to all the money printing from central banks in the long period of zero interest rates, some serious inflation has hit, I'm sure you're aware. And inflation crushes bonds. We've been talking about it for seven years. If your portfolio has a significant portion of bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy. You do need one. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. This shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still get market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. 
Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you for sticking with us. All right. Now, there's going to be more discussion about this. And Marcos, in the interview that we got coming up today, we'll air a little bit of it on the show. Um, He and I are going to get into this. And I do think it's about a 52-minute interview. I think you're going to want to hear all of it because one of the things that I asked Marcos to do is share some bullish things that he thinks could work out better than most people are thinking. And guys, again, at the end of the day, this is not an idealistic war. Investing is is not a political campaign it's not binary our job is to win uh and to make money and to protect capital um it's not to be ideologically correct and if you know what i'm what i mean by that what i'm saying is um well i said investing isn't binary but it sort of is in the sense that you either make money or lose money and uh being ideologically correct frequently does not correlate to being a winner investing wise. Okay. So we got to keep that in mind. And as I always say, it's a bullet you don't see. So when I have a decidedly negative outlook, one of the things that I want to be thinking about constantly is looking for ways that I'm wrong, right? If I'm right, the portfolio is already positioned that way. I don't need to worry about that. What I need to worry about is the bullet I don't see. Right. The positive news that I'm not paying attention to or that I'm not hearing for whatever reason or the good potential outcome. And so Marcos is going to dig through that with us. But pivoting a little bit, um, <clears throat> you know, the, the on the energy side of things, and I don't want to spend this whole segment talking about energy, but it's 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 really incredible to me and it is just politics as usual and I get it and I do not think and I'll anger some people when I say this and I I don't think what Biden is doing is all that different from what every politician does right they're going to do whatever they think that they can do to try to gin up more votes and help them you know win an election but listening to him continue to go after these oil producers is just insane I, I posted on my Twitter the video of him saying, we're going to get rid of onshore drilling. We're going to get rid of offshore drilling. There'll be no more drilling, period. Fast forward 25 months, and he is excoriating those same companies because they won't drill. Even though he's outlawed drilling on public lands, even though he's complicated and elongated the permitting process, even though he is not through legislative action, but he has been very supportive vocally and behind the scenes, Doing everything that the administration can do to keep oil companies from getting financed. I, it's just, it's Keystone Cops. It really is. And, and I will say, I got an email from one of my clients. I will say, and I've said it many times, Biden is not the reason that this energy shortfall exists. That blame, there's plenty of blame to go around and it stretches back for the better part of the last 12 years. Okay. But everything that they have done has not helped and has only exacerbated the problem. If you want oil companies to start drilling, quit sitting on the price of oil with the SPR and quit villainizing them and quit telling them that your goal is to drive them out of business. If you tell a company, and I may have said this last week, I'm not sure that I did, but but if, if you were to tell a company, let's say Biden and his administration was going to go after big tech. Let's say that was their priority, right? And I think I did mention this on the show last week. But if you're going to if you come into office saying your goal is to break up and end Amazon, do you think Amazon would keep investing as rapid? No, they'd start stockpiling cash to give them more flexibility. Right. Not only that, but they're not going to go spend a bunch of investment dollars if they're not even going to own that business in six months. I, I just don't know what anybody expects these companies to do. Oh, so price of gas is high because you can't price of gas is high because we don't have enough refiner capacity and you won't let them build refiners. And again, that's not just on Biden. That policy has been in, in, there have been no refineries built for most of the last 40 plus years. But I'm just saying, those are the facts. And what I can't stand from any side of the political aisle is gaslighting. When you are lying and you know you're lying, right? Like right now, I think that's going on with the vaccine, okay? 
And do I think the vaccine is this killer drug that was devised by people to eliminate one third of the globe? No, I, I, I don't think so. Could I be wrong? I guess. I just think conspiracies like that would be spread. I just I just to to believe that is to assume that there's just this huge cohort of evil people that are perfectly in sync all the time and word never gets out to anybody else. Okay, but what I do think is that it was half cocked. I think that people were incredibly dishonest about the capabilities of the vaccine. And we know that now that's common knowledge. If you're out there, if you're if you are disgusted by what you heard, please do not just shoot the messenger here and blame me. Guys, this is scientific fact. I am citing things that were said by Pfizer employees under oath. And yet, oddly enough, do you hear the CDC pulling back on recommendations to take the vaccine? Nope. How about Biden? Nope. He's still pumping it. Best thing you could do is get out there and take the vaccine. Why? Why? I just think it's political nonsense and it's gaslighting. And God help me, you guys, I'm going to call out gaslighting wherever I see it, regardless of what side of the political aisle it's coming from, because that really, to me, is the greatest danger here that we face politically. People don't know what to trust. They don't know who to trust. And so their decisions are made by their political allegiances rather than their own intuition, rather than their own research, rather than their own data. And, you know, I think we've got a pretty good track record on the whole vaccine just saying this. I'm sorry. This thing is not FDA approved. People are like, yes, it is FDA approved. They go, yeah, the FDA stamped it with their EUA and then they officially approved it, but it didn't go through the FDA authorization program. Oh, yes, it did. No, it didn't. Go, go ask a pharmaceutical company how long it takes to get through FDA trials. It's five to seven years. The, the reason it takes so long is that's part of the bloody authorization. That's part of the permitting process. Right. Because we can't know. And I'm just tired of people acting so irresponsibly, excoriating people, ruining lives, ending careers for political reasons, and then finding out they're wrong. And now instead of even issuing a mea culpa and saying they're sorry and owning it, it's demanding amnesty. Which is another, I just, yeah, if you can't tell, this stuff frustrates me. And it's, it's not a politically driven thing. It's just when you run into gaslighting and untruth. Right. And lies and lack of integrity. You know, and and I'll just say this to anybody. Whenever you find yourself manipulating the truth or lying to protect a political cause or a political motivation or a political idea, maybe that should cause you to rethink the political idea or the political cause you're backing. Because what you'll end up with is a situation like we've got now. Nobody knows what the truth is. You know, it's like they're trying to pivot back to climate. Well, we got to do it because if we don't attack climate change, you know, we're not going to have good. Look, for all I know, I'm not a climate expert. Maybe a lot of what they're saying is true. But to sit there and act like these people are enemies of the state that don't buy your climate alarmist routine. It's being pushed by the same people that just told us we're killing people if we didn't get it vaccinated. So for and, and if you're out there and you're one of those people. That, that thinks those things, I'm not telling you I know you're wrong. I don't. And I'm all for cleaner air and cleaner environments. And I think that, you know, I think it's, it looks pretty obvious that, that the globe is heating up. I think it seems logical that man plays some role in that. I think it seems really hard to believe that he plays as big a role as they'd have you believe. But the whole point is if you can't sit back, even if you're one of those people that believes 100% of that, you could be right. I don't know that. But you have to at least be able to understand where the skepticism is coming from. I mean, again, just use the vaccination as a perfect example. Right? I mean, it, you don't have to be some far right nut job to watch this whole vaccine debacle and sit there and go, I can understand why these guys aren't buying into the climate alarm. And that's what I'm saying. The defense of a political position via dishonesty does you or your cause no good. It mutes you over the long run. And that's what is an electorate we should start demanding and we should start attacking every time we see it. Whether it's coming from our side of the aisle or the other. That's enough of my political grandstanding. Again, it's not a political, it's not really political. It's just, it's my frustrate. 
Now, I sat there and watched a, a film of Chuck Todd ending his ending his episode in a di- in a monologue the other day. It's back in 2021. 30 seconds of just excoriating anybody that could possibly shame on you were his words. You are resulting in deaths. Has he come out and issued an apology for that? Nope. Is he going to? Not going to hold my breath. But but saying that people were killing people. And that's not to say every anti-vax person was 100% right. Like I said, I didn't buy into the far conspiracy. My whole point all along was, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on a second. We have groups already that we know based on data have very little risk. There's a lot more about this vaccine we don't know than what we do know. So based on them not having a lot of risk, probably shouldn't take it. No, everybody should take it. Even your kids. Everybody. I... (laughs) It's just political nonsense has leaked into every part of our world, and it's just short-circuited people's ability to think and ration or to, 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 you know, engage in rational thought, rational discussion. And it, and it just makes everything so much harder to, harder to fix or even address. And like I said, well, we've got to get a clue. We've got to help climate change. You're like sitting there going, guys, you just blew a lot of credibility. Okay, so I'm really now hoping that your climate alarmist act isn't true, because if it is, you just made it a lot harder to convince the folks to act on that because they can't trust you. And, and, and that's just an empirical fact. You lied through your teeth. And at very best, you. You know, maybe it wasn't a lie, but you pontificated to a level that you knew you were outside of your scope expertise and you knew you were saying things that you didn't know were true. In an emergency situation. And you attacked lives, you ruined careers, you black marked people. You excoriated people, you had other people attacking people because they had skepticism, because they asked questions. Is there going to be amnesty? There shouldn't be. And if there were one of those politicians out there or people in power that knew that what they were saying is false, like it's really hard for me to believe that Fauci didn't know these things. I think they should. I think I think they should be. I think they should be sued. I think they should be gone after. I think they should have criminal charges levied against them. I do. You're put in a position of power like that and you purposefully mislead them. How is that not the equivalent of lying under oath? I. And again, it's not it's not because, look, it was an emergency situation. I understand the idea behind people being a little more alarmist. I get it. There were a lot of unknowns, fog of war, all that kind of stuff. But these people for more than a year purposefully ignored reputable experts that were bringing up counterpoints. It's just disgusting. Anyway, okay, so back to back to the investment side of it. Um, right now, we're kind of in a little bit of a dead period, guys. There's not much. Like I said, you're seeing the interest rates going up. We all know the impacts it's having on real estate. Um, automobile demand remains surprisingly strong. Again, I think that that has a lot more to do with, you know, I've got an employee who ordered a car. Uh, over a year ago that he's going to be taking delivery of in two months or excuse me, two weeks that counts as a car sale this year. Right. But what is that reflective of? It's reflective of demand over a year ago, right? It was paid for with money that was set aside over a year ago. And obviously that transaction can't get booked until the delivery happens. So that's going to show up in Q3 or no Q4 GDP, but it's not really right. So do we know the full impact yet? No, I just, based on what, you know, when you increase the cost of financing anything by double, I, I, I don't think it's irresponsible to say that demand is going to go down. So whatever numbers we're seeing now, and that's why I kind of think that 5% earnings hit that we're seeing through this quarter, X Energy, I think that's a tell. Because remember, the quarterly numbers we're getting this year, they still incorporated July and August. And July and August, things were still ripping, right? For G- so September too, right? Summer of love. People were spending. They're going to go out. 
So we really got to get into Q4. If we're already seeing 5% earnings declines, and I think that fourth quarter, again, I don't have a crystal ball. Well, my, I have a crystal ball. It's cloudy just like everybody else's. But I, I think that there is a real potential for some carnage in Q4 because of the Q4 earnings anomalies from last year. And if the deceleration in earnings continues, you could see somewhere in the negative a 13 to 15% drop in Q4 earnings year over year. And it won't be as bad as it sounds. A lot of that will have to do with the anomalies that, were, that, that occurred in quarterly earnings numbers last year um, in the fourth quarter. But if you see those types of earnings reports rolling out in fourth quarter, and with each passing day, it looks like a greater and greater potential for that. It's just really hard not to see stocks moving to a new bottom. And you'll hear we sit today, you've seen a rebound on the Dow. And remember, the Dow is the worst indicator to watch overall. You know, if you're looking at your portfolio and going, wait a second, the Dow's down 11% on the year, but my portfolio's down 24. It's because your portfolio's not loaded up on the Dow. It's loaded up on S&P 500, mostly tech. So NASDAQ and bonds are why you're getting killed. And don't pivot into the Dow because you see it performing better. The Dow is just 30 industrial stocks. The Dow is being more impacted by, <clears throat> funny enough, the industrial stocks seem to be holding up better on the earnings side because a lot of them have uh, backlogs, right? Think of the automobile companies. They're going to post, and they have been posting for the most part. Ford didn't have a great one. GM did. Um, but it's more mixed because they have this backlog of people that were ordering back then and we're still receiving now. And the, you know, there's, there's a lot of anomalies that are kind of holding the Dow up at this point. Um, so I, you know, and, and the other one that's kind of odd is that for Boeing stock, hope springs eternal and just keep watching that thing plumbing new lows. Not recently. It had a little run this, this last week, but you know, that's another company that I just, I, I think is a no fly. It looks, I mean, it's, don't get me wrong. It's heck of a lot more attractive at these valuations. But when you look at that debt load they've got, they've paid some of it down already. Again, you look at dollar strength, you look at interest rates. I, I just, I don't see a big boom around the corner for Boeing. So, um, but anyway, I, you know, I think right now we're kind of in a little bit of a lull. We got to see what's going to come out on the news cycle here. Uh, we got elections coming up Tuesday. Like I told you guys before, I don't think there's a lot in the elections. I don't think there's a lot that can change via the election, right? It's not a presidential election. It doesn't mark a pivot one way or the other. Um, it looks like Republicans are going to take back seats. We'll have to wait and see till Tuesday till we know how big of a deal that is. But, you know, unfortunately, I don't think that's going to make a big change, right? Um, it's going to create some gridlock, which I think is good. Markets tend to like that, but there, there's not, I don't see any of those things at this stage in the economy when you've already started tilting down, right? I, we're in a recession. Um, even if the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, doesn't recognize it, we're in a recession. I think most of us know that. Those, the, that gridlock isn't enough to turn things around, especially in light of the interest rates. So I, I just kind of think it's a wait and see thing right now. Um, I will say this, though, like we've been talking about, boy, energy's still staying strong. And what you need to do, if you've had any doubts at this point, you got to go read these earnings reports, guys. These companies are just printing money. And it's still the cheapest sector in the S&P 500. It's crazy. And if you want exposure to that, if you want people that were pounding on the table a year ago saying, guys, get out of tech, get into energy, get rid of bonds. We've been telling you that for the last nine years. Some actual foresight, some people trying to look at what the world's going to look like years down the road, not just what it looks like today. And an advisor keeps telling you, I think everything looks fine. We think the markets are going to rally at the end of the year. I know that's what the majority of advisors have been telling you this year. Has it happened? Nope. Do things look fine? Nope, not if you're paying attention. Once again, they're wrong. Okay, why? Because they're just slapping you and everything else, everybody, and they're going to give you the same answer. What are we going to do? Nothing. We got to stick to it. If you want more of what you've already seen this year, go ahead and stick to it. Keep doing the same thing and accepting and expecting a different result. Or look, you can have a portfolio that was up nearly 20% last year crushed the typical stock bond portfolio and that's only down three or four this year you don't have to risk all that and you can get more upside potential way less downside and save money at the same time pay less in fees there's a better way to do it give us a call 866-779-RISK again 866-779-RISK 
please do not call us three months from now telling us about how you're finally calling because now you're down 45%. And I'm not saying that's guaranteed, but I'm just saying, look at the tea leaves. Does this look like the worst is baked into you? Do you think 21 times earnings is going to be the bottom for this market? Are you still sitting in bonds because your advisor told you bonds go up when stocks go down? We, you've been proven that they're wrong. You realize that their portfolio is broken, yet you're still sitting there. Don't be the deer stuck in the headlights. Call us or call somebody for crying out loud. 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, bullercapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with a few minutes of the Mar- uh, my interview with Marcos Bueno. You won't want to miss it. Going to talk all about the Fed and the impact on the economy. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation, and it's here. All the money printing from the Fed and long period of zero interest rates, the bills come and due, and inflation's going up. And when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been saying it for years. If you're using bonds in the old school 60-40 mix with stocks as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free booklet, Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss, but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for sticking with us. And uh, as always, this is my favorite part of the show, interview time. And in times like these, it always helps to have a good team around you. And uh, as always, right? And one of, I, I'm fortunate enough to have a guy on my team that I think is considerably smarter than I am. And <laughs> hopefully he can, uh, he can shed some light on what's happening, what's going on. And uh, big news, we're recording that this on Wednesday. So we have the Fed announcement today. But talk about the impacts of further hikes and uh, the state of the markets. I can't think of anybody better. Then my partner, Mr. Marcos Bueno. Marcos, thanks for joining us again today, man. Good to have you with us. Thanks to you, Zach. You know, it's <laughs> always a pleasure to be here. <clears throat> well, I'm sure it's not always, but... Uh... <laughs> so far, okay, let, let, let's put it this way. It has always been a pleasure so far. Okay, so far. There you go. There you go. Leave, leave, leave in space for the unknown, right? Um, anyway, so... so um, I, I I don't want to speak for you, but I'm going to go out on a limb and do that a little bit right now. I, I would assume, like me, we're sitting here after the close on uh, on Wednesday, especially in lieu of the data that we've seen coming out over the past two to four weeks. I thought the Fed delivered exactly what they said they were going to and what I actually anticipated them delivering. Uh, once again... I am not surprised to see the market reaction. I'm, I'm a little surprised just because it seems like every time the markets or, or the Fed's hiked that there's been kind of this inexplicable, ebullient rally, at least, you know, the day of. Maybe it lasted a day or two or whatever. Um, so I'm kind of sitting here thinking, OK, this this is par for the course as far as I'm concerned. How about you? Would, it, would you agree with that assessment that, that we got what we thought we were going to get and it didn't. It, did it surprise you? Anything about the Fed announcement that caught your ear at all? Um, there's one thing. I think that the fact that they raised 75 basis points, uh, that was widely expected. I think that wasn't a surprise. Um, they said in the statement that um, they ha- they're going to take into consideration the lag of the monetary policy, because obviously it's not immediate. It, takes between 9 and 12 months and sort of like the incoming data. And the market rallied on that, which is 
That was surprising to begin with, because um, that shouldn't be a surprise. That should be what the Fed always does. And the fact that the market took that as a positive thing, um, it's a bad thing in the sense that the market doesn't have a lot of confidence in the competence of the Fed. Like the Fed saying that they're going to take all those things into consideration shouldn't be news to the market. But <laughs> it's news because, uh, oh, all right. So it's just they didn't trust them to begin with, the market. Well, um, and and that got all undone during the press conference of uh, Chairman Powell because I think that's the, the biggest surprise is that he seems determined to keep going until something cracks. Well, and and, and I think that's what's scaring people out. Well, and it should. I mean, right? Yes, I, it should. Yeah, and, and I made this comment. It's like uh, if you want to have a soft landing, you need to feather before you touch the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I call it Captain Powell seems determined to crash the plane before adjusting. And I think that, that if you're if you're a passenger, that's scary. I, I agree with you, but there is something interesting that I'm thinking about, and it harkens back to conversations that you and I have had you know, well before this year. Um, you know, going back conversations I've had with other guests, a lot of other people have had this. Marcos, I think one of the things that I'm concerned about. Now, this will sound tongue in. Well, people that do this for a living, I think they'll know exactly what I mean. But for the retail folks and clients and prospective clients that are listening to this, I think it'll sound a little bit weird. Um, I'm a bit surprised that this is unraveling so much like I thought it would and, and so much like other people thought it would, where I'm watching the Fed right now and (laughs) <laughs> the reason I say I'm surprised it unrolls like I thought it would is, and I'm sure you can, I'm sure you can sympathize with this viewpoint. So rarely in investing does it play out exactly like you think. You know, sometimes it's better than you think. All right, guys, got to cut it off there due to time constraints. As always, you can hear the rest of this interview at, at the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Just Google Know Your Risk Radio podcast. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Spotify, you, you name it. Pretty much every single podcast site, we're out there on it. Anyway, hope you guys have a great weekend. We'll be back next week with a great show and another great interview. You won't want to miss it. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.